up here and preach the word. All right. Well, good evening, everyone. It's uh, it's really nice to be back. Um, believe it or not, I missed the rain, and I'm glad that I'm not in the desert anymore. So I love it here. It's beautiful, and I'm glad to be back with my church family. I wanted to real quickly give my testimony. Um, this year, as many of you have said, has been a really uh, a, a rich year as far as blessings go. God's been really good. Um, you know, uh, I, I got a little adventurous this year, went down a thousand miles away and uh, felt like that's where God wanted me. And God um, has really proved himself to me. I, I know that uh, it's been a year of growing for me and that I've seen God work in some ways that I really never thought imaginable. And I've seen him do some things that uh, I wouldn't have seen if he hadn't taken me down to that desert. And um, it's been a really great year. And I'm just I'm thankful just for all the blessings that God's given this year. Um, that being said, let's go ahead and uh, get on with the message tonight. Um, go ahead and stand, if you would, and turn to 2 Kings 18. 2 Kings 18 tonight. And actually, okay, we're going to go ahead and back up two chapters, 2 Kings 16, real quick. Let's start there, and then we'll get back to 2 Kings 18. But in 2 Kings 16, and I'm going to read verses 1 and 2 real quick. 2 Kings 16, verse 1 is where I'll start, and I'll read through verse 2. The Bible says there in 2 Kings chapter 16, in verse 1, In the seventeenth year of Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign. Twenty years old was Ahaz when he began to reign, and reigned sixteen years in Jerusalem, and did not that which was right in the sight of the Lord his God like David his father. All right, so now we're going to go ahead and we're going to turn over to 2 Kings chapter 18. And I'm just going to read verses 1 through 5 real quick, and then we'll, uh, we'll get started tonight. It says, Now it came to pass, in the third year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. Twenty and five years old was he when he began to reign, and he reigned twenty and nine years in Jerusalem. His mother's name also was Abi, the daughter of Zechariah, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father did. He removed the high places and brake the images and cut down the groves and brake in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it, and he called it Nehushtan. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. All right. Dear Lord God, I thank you for this day, for this evening, Lord. I thank you for this chance to assemble together as believers, and I thank you so much for this church and just uh, for this year that we can reflect on and see all the many blessings that you've given us, Lord God. I thank you for this service um, and all the testimonies that were given, and what a blessing that is to look back at uh, just how you take care of your children, Lord God, and we're so thankful for that, and we're so unworthy of the blessings that you've given us and the salvation that you give us, Lord, and we're thankful for that, and I pray that you would just uh, be with this message tonight, that you'd be with me, Uh, just uh, use me tonight as a mouthpiece, Lord, Um, and that this message would just work in the hearts of the people of this congregation tonight, that uh, your Holy Spirit would move, and in the end, that your will would be done, Lord God. I thank you for all that you've done and all that you're about to do. In Christ's name I pray, amen. All right, you can go ahead and be seated. So here we are in uh, 2 Kings chapter 18. And uh, tonight, we're going to talk about the three R's for a new year. Figured, you know, it's a, coming up on the new year, got to have a bit of a New Year's theme to it. So three R's for a new year. And we're looking at King Hezekiah here. 
And uh, we're looking at his kingdom, how he came in, uh, and you know he he became came to reign over the kingdom. Um, and so, kind of the three principles that we can pull from that and what he did uh, as he transitioned and became king. Um, you know, it says. Here in uh, verse number five, he trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah. And I just think, you know, that, that's a really great thing to be said of you in the Bible. So I'm sure there's some stuff here tonight that we can glean from and look at and apply to our lives tonight. So um, we'll start here tonight. We, we have Hezekiah and we'll start with our first R tonight. The first principle that I'm going to bring up is remove. And that's that you got to remove from your life the idols and sin that come between you and God and that have, uh, that have beset you from your growing in your relationship with God. So we see, and I'm just going to look back again at our main text here in uh, verse, I'm going to start in verse 2. It says, 20 and 5 years old was he when he began to reign, and he reigned 20 and 9 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name also was Abby, the daughter of Zechariah, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that, his, that David his father did. He removed the high places and break the images, and cut down the groves, and break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it. Okay, so we have here in verse 4, um, Hezekiah has gone in, and he's now the king of Judah. Um, there, there's two kingdoms right now, as far as the 12 tribes of Israel are split up, um, and that'll be important later. But So right now he's the king of Judah, and... We see here that one of the first things that Hezekiah did when he began to reign over Judah was that he removed the high places. He broke the images. He got rid of the idolatry, or uh, to the best of his ability, you know, he tried to get rid of those places where people in the land would go and worship their pagan gods and burn incense to them. And he, he saw that that was a problem and that that, that, wasn't, um, that wasn't scripturally correct. So he went to do his best to get rid of that he went ahead and removed the high places. And so if you will, go ahead and turn back with me to 2 Kings chapter 16. And I just want to look at uh, the stark contrast with his father real quick. It says, in the 17th year of Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, here, I already read that, I'll, I'll start in verse 2 here. It says, 20 years old was Ahaz when he began to reign, and reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. Okay, so uh, Ahaz is actually the father of Hezekiah. Um, so Ahaz, when he began to reign, and reigned 16 years in Jerusalem, and did not that which was right in the sight of the Lord his God like David his father. So off to a bad foot here, Ahaz did not that which was right in the sight of the Lord. He was not a good guy. Um, and it says here in verse 3, this is pretty important here. It says, but he walked in the way of the kings of Israel, yea, and made his son to pass through the fire according to the abominations of the heathen, whom the Lord cast out from before the children of Israel. And he sacrificed and burnt incense in the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. So we see here in Judah, this is a really big issue, idolatry. It, it's a big issue to the point where the king of Judah here is partaking in it. We have God's children and they've been led astray and they've gone and they've started worshiping foreign gods, other gods, false gods, not the one true God, and it's come to the point where even the king, he has no qualm with it, no shame about going out and burning incense and uh, sacrificing in the high places, it says, uh, uh, you know, that it was happening under every green tree. And we saw there earlier in verse 3, it says, um, you'll see, it says, his, 
and he made his son to pass through the fire. Okay, so I think this is a really interesting thing to bring up, just to kind of show how sick this guy is. Um, if you look over in um, in Second Chronicles 28.3, look, look over in Second Chronicles 28.3. You don't have to turn there, but I'm going to turn there real quick and read it to you. In Second Chronicles chapter 28, verse number 3, it says, Moreover, and this is talking about Ahaz here, this is the, you know, the Chronicles of the Kings, except this is a different book than uh, Second Kings. It says, Moreover, he burnt incense in the valley of the son of Hinnom and burnt his children in the fire after the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. It says he burnt his children. This man was so consumed in this nation, was so consumed by their idolatry that it, co- it had come to the point where they were sacrificing their children. Uh, you know, life did not have the meaning, it did not carry the meaning that it should carry to us, uh, especially as the, the children of God here, you know, they, they've strayed so far from him that they didn't think twice about sacrificing their children to these pagan gods. That just kind of gives us an idea of the moral, uh, the moral upheaval that, that Judah was in at this time. So we see here Hezekiah com- comes in. He's a new guy on the scene. He's the son of Ahaz, and one of the first things he does, he, he saw the, the destruction that was brought by his father not following God and doing the wicked things and allowing the wicked things in the, in the land that he allowed. Uh, it, it led to um, a lot of issues with neighboring countries. It, it put Judah in a bad place politically and obviously with God, and Hezekiah saw that, and so Hezekiah comes in, and he decided to change things up. He, he decided he's going to follow God. So here he comes in, and he tears down those high places. He does his best to get rid of the idolatry in the land so that people can worship God and, and so that people will stop worshiping these false, these false gods. Now, I want us to notice um, my first point being you know, that we're to remove the sin, from our li- the sin, the idolatry from our lives. I just want us to notice real quick, idolatry can be anything that comes between you and God, that you put before God. So this can be many things. This can be a relationship. This can be money. Uh, this can be anything in your life that has become your God, that you love more than God himself, um, that you, you worship, in a sense, more than you worship God. Anything that comes before God in your life, that has become an idol. And when, when, you, approach the, when you approach these things, you have to do your best. You want to get rid of them. And, and oftentimes, people run into this issue of uh, they have good intentions, but they never get rid of it. And I just want us to real quickly look at an example of that, of good intentions and where that gets us. So if you'll turn over to Second uh, Kings chapter 15, Second Kings chapter 15, and uh, I'm just going to go ahead and read through verse 7 real quick. It says, In the 20 and 7th year of Jeroboam, King of Israel began Azariah, son of Amaziah, king of Judah, to reign. Sixteen years old was he when he began to reign, and he reigned two and fifty years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Jechaliah of Jerusalem, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father Amaziah had done. So we're off on a good start here. It says that he did, he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. All right. But then we move down to verse number four, and it says, save that the high places were not removed. We see he has one issue here 
the high places were not removed. And we saw when we were reading in chapter 16 the destruction that, th that this brought as far as, I mean, now we have people sacrificing their children and uh, Judah w was in a time of real spiritual darkness and, and there was a lot of other things going on and it was a bad place to be. And so we have here, uh, we have here Azariah and he was, he was doing good in the sight of the Lord except that he didn't remove the high places. And we see his consequence for this. Uh, we see, save that the high places were not removed, the people sacrificed and the burnt incense still on the high places, and the Lord smote the king so that he was a leper unto the day of his death. And he dwelt in a several house, and Jotham, the king's son, was over the house judging the people of the land, and the rest of the acts of Azariah and all that he did are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? So Azariah slept with his fathers, and they buried him with his fathers in the city of David, and Jotham his son reigned in his stead. So we have King Azariah here, and you know the Bible says that he was doing good, except that he didn't remove the high places. He didn't get rid of that idolatry that plagued the land. And this really drove a wedge between God and the children of Israel, his chosen people. This drove a wedge there, and this was, um, this was the reason for many, many trials, many hard times that the children of Israel would see and that Judah would see because of their kings in part of you know, making bad decisions that didn't, weren't God-honoring, and it led the land astray. I mean, don't get me wrong, God is always in control, so the king doesn't have the ultimate say, but in this case, God has put this man in charge and he is strayed from God in that he didn't do what was right, and he let that wedge sit there, and it did, it did nothing but drive Judah away from God. So as much as we may have good intentions, as we can see here, it looked like Azariah did have good intentions. As much as we may have good intentions, we always have to remember that the follow-through has to be there. The action has to be there to back up what our good intentions put out. We, we need to be able to get rid of that sin, remove it out of our lives so that we can draw close to God. And, and that leads to when we remove that sin from our lives, it shows the faith that we are putting in God, which brings me to my second point here. And that's, a, we, hey, we got to rely on God. And uh, if you look back at our main text in 2 Kings chapter 18, and I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to read chapter 13, or sorry, verse 13, it says, Now in the 14th year of King Hezekiah did Sennacherib, king of Assyria, king of Assyria, sorry, come up against all the fenced cities of Judah and took them. Okay, so now we have Hezekiah. He's done what's right in the sight of the Lord, and he's gotten rid of, he's, you know, done his best to get rid of the idolatry in the land. He's removed the high places. He's in a good place as far as he's, uh, he, he's following God's will. He's trying to draw the land near to God where they belong. And now is going to come those trials. And, and here we see where Hezekiah's faith is going to be put to the test. Hezekiah, we see the Assyrian, the Assyrian king, the Assyrian people, we see their aggression here as they're coming to, you know, they want to take over Judah. In fact, if we look back just a few verses earlier, look at verse 9. And I'll read through verse 12 here real quick. It says, and it came to pass in the fourth year of Hezekiah, which was the seventh year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, that Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up against Samaria and besieged it. Okay, so, and then it says in verse 10, 
And at the end of three years, they took it, even the sixth year of Hezekiah, that is the ninth year of Hosea, king of Israel, Samaria was taken, and the king of Assyria did carry away Israel unto Assyria and put them in Hala and in, Har- and in Habor, sorry, by the river of Gozan and in the cities of the Medes. So we have here, I, I mentioned earlier that Judah and Israel at this time, they're two separate kingdoms. The tribes have been split up. They're two separate kingdoms at this time. And Israel at this point has fallen to the Assyrian aggression. And we're going to read in verse 12 why this happened. It says, because they obeyed not the voice of the Lord their God, but transgressed his covenant and all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded and would not hear them nor do them. So we see here, this is kind of their, their just desserts here in that they were not listening to God. They had drawn away from God. You know, their kings, they, this is the time of the, their evil kings and they were away from God. The whole land was. And so God allowed the Assyrians to, to, to take them over as a punishment because they would not listen to God. They wouldn't listen to his commandments. Uh, they, they were reprobate. And they were away from God at this time. And so now we see here in verse 13 that Judah now is, is kind of in the crosshairs uh, of Assyria and of their king as um, it says now in the 14th year of, of King Hezekiah, did Sennacherib, king of Assyria, come up against all the fenced cities of Judah and took them. And Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria to Lachish, saying, I have offended. Return from me that which thou puttest on me will I bear. And the king of Assyria appointed unto Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. All right, so... Here we have an issue. So Hezekiah did what was right in the first place, getting rid of the idols, tearing down the high places. But now things have changed. Israel has fallen to the, or sorry, um, yeah, Israel. Israel's fallen to the Assyrians. And now they're after Judah. And the king is a pro, you know, the Assyrian king wants to get them. So Hezekiah says, hold on, hold on, hold on a second here. You know, let, let me barter with you. And, and he asks him, you know, what can I give you? So Hezekiah does this, but it turns out Hezekiah the, and the kingdom, they don't have the resources for this. So, so they end up in a bit of a pickle here. And you look over in, um, later in the chapter, and you see how uh, the Assyrian king sends send some Assyrian diplomats and, and basically tells the people, surrender now, you know, come in peace, and we won't hurt you. And, and so Hezekiah at this point, he feels very defeated. Um, as, as any of us might if we were the king at that time. He feels defeated. His, his earthly attempt at solving the situation has not worked out. So he does what many of us do at times. After what we try doesn't work, we, we go crying to God. And, and God is, you know, always willing to take us in, which he does here. And we'll look here in uh, chapter 19 and verse 1. It says, And it came to pass when King Hezekiah heard it, that he rent his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth and went into the house of the Lord. And he sent Eliakim, which was over the household, and Shebna the scribe, and the elders of the priests covered with sackcloth to Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos. Okay. So Hezekiah here, he realizes that he has nowhere else to turn. He, he doesn't have the military might to take on the Assyrian kingdom nor do they have the, the, the monetary resources to buy their way out of this. 
they're, they're at a point where all they have is God. <laughs> I say that, that all they have is God. That, that's all they need is God. But in their minds at this point, all they have is God. So they come crying to God, and God, he does what he always does, and he accepts them in. And, and they, you know, he ends up conquering the Assyrian, or he ends up taking out the Assyrian people and resolving the matter. But let's just notice real quick that this was Hezekiah's plan B. This should have been Hezekiah's plan A, to go to God. You know, uh, Hezekiah, he should have, instead of bartering with the Assyrian king and with the Assyrian diplomats and trying to resolve this uh, in an earthly manner, the very first thing he should have done is gone and prayed to God for help and for wisdom. And, you know, we see in um, Proverbs 3, 5, and 7, you know, the Bible says, Hey, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him. And he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. So the Bible says very clearly that, you know, this, this should have been one of those things where Hezekiah went straight to God before he did anything. Because God says, you know, be not wise in thine own eyes. We're not supposed to take things and try to humanly solve our issues. We're supposed to leave it with God. We're supposed to take it to God. And he's going to solve our issues for us. Uh, th this should have been plan A. And we see it, it brought on distress, a burden that Hezekiah didn't need to bear. And let me just say, a lot of times we do that in our lives. You know, we see a roadblock in the way, and we think to ourselves, well, how can I solve this problem? And we rack our brains, and we spend sleepless nights um, worrying about, well, you know, how am I going to pay the school bill if, you know, I, I don't get the check till then? And how am I going to pay for gas for, you know, two weeks until I get another check? And we rack our brains trying to come up with ideas of how to fix our problems on our own. But we forget that we have an almighty God Amen. on our side who wants to solve our problems. The, the, the Bible says that, you know, he, he, wants, he wants to be there for us. He's a jealous God. He wants to solve our problems for us. Uh, you know, sorry, Ooh, dry throat. <laughs> God wants to solve our problems for us. He wants to be there. And yet so often... We, we try to take it into our own hands. You know, Psalms 118 eight says, uh, It is better to trust the Lord than to put confidence in man. Man's fallible. We're all fallible. We're all sinners. And we can't trust ourselves to get ourselves out of many a, a sticky situation that we put ourselves in. Whereas God is always there. Uh, he's willing to help us, and he wants to help us. All we have to do is come to him, and he'll help us through whatever issues of life um, may beset us. He's there, and he's ready. He's ready to help us out. All we have to do is come to him. We have, uh, we have our Savior who he, he, he's right there. He's always ready to take our problems to God for us in intercession and plead our case to God. And so often we forget about that. I think it's this interesting how in this time of societal upheaval, many people have completely forgotten about God. Many people have tried to take all the problems that have come during this year, this has been a, a rough year for a lot of people. Um, may, many people who aren't saved especially, I can't imagine going through this year without God. It would be really hard, not having any solid hope. You know, uh, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and righteousness. On, the cri on Christ, the solid rock we stand. We have that solid rock going through our lives. There's a lot of people out in the world today that don't have that. They can't, they can't put their trust in him and say, it's all going to be okay. And, and stop worrying about it. Whereas we have that, we have that luxury, where we can go to Him when times are tough in a really rough year, 
when, when things have been hard for a lot of people, we can look back and we can see the blessings when we put our faith in God and let him take care of us and my, how he does bless us. And you'll see that. That's my second. That's my third point tonight. My last point. It says uh, that the, la- the last R tonight is to receive God's blessings. We ought to receive God's blessings. We can't do that until we've removed the sin from our lives, until we've relied completely on God. Now we can receive God's blessings. And my, how he does bless us. If you look, go ahead and uh, turn over a, a page or two. I don't know what it might be in your Bible. It's one page or two pages, maybe, um, to uh, 2 Kings chapter 19. And I'm going to read here real quick in uh, verse 32, and I'm going to read through verse 35. It says here in 2 Kings 19, 32, Therefore, thus saith the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shield, nor cast a bank against it. This is the Lord God talking right here. He's saying, thus saith the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city. God's saying he's going to defend the city. God's saying that the king of Assyria is not going to come near it. He's not going to shoot an arrow at it. God's going to defend it. Verse 33, by the, way, by the way that he came, by the same shall he return. God's saying here, he's going to go right back the same way that he came here. I'm going to defend this city, and that Assyrian king's going to go right back where he came from. And it says, and shall not come into this city, saith the Lord, for I will defend this city to save it for mine own sake and for my servant David's sake. And it came to pass that night that the angel of the Lord went out and smote in the camp of the Assyrians an hundred fourscore and five thousand. And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. All right, we see here, <laughs> it's pretty blood. God literally left them dead in their tracks. Oh, sorry, I couldn't tell myself. All right, verse 35, and it came to pass. All right, we see here, God worked in a mighty way. He said, I'm going to defend your city. He said, you know, the king of Assyria is not going to come near it. He's not going to touch it. He's not going to shoot an arrow at it. And God does exactly that because overnight, the angel of the Lord comes down and s- demolishes, decimates the whole camp of the Assyrians. What It says here, and hundred, fourscore, and five thousand, one hundred and eighty-five thousand Assyrian soldiers are reduced to nothing but dead corpses. And in the morning, the Assyrian king comes and he sees the destruction that has fallen upon his camp. After Hezekiah put his trust in God, God delivered in an unimaginable way, in a way that I surely wouldn't have expected if I were Hezekiah, to, to wake up the next morning and the whole camp be just a bunch of dead people, 185,000 of them to be exact. God, not only did he take care of, he, of uh, the king of Assyria and that he demolished the camp, but then go down to verse 36, it says, So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went and returned and dwelt in Nineveh. If you remember, just a few verses earlier, God said, I'm going to send that king of Assyria right back to where he came from, and here we have the fulfillment of that in verse 36 in that King Sennacherib, he, he went and returned and dwelt at Nineveh and it came to pass as he was worshiping in the house of Nisroch, his God, sorry, that uh, Adramelech and Sherezer, his sons, smote him with the sword 
and they escaped into the land of Armenia, and Esarhaddon, his son, reigned in his stead. So God fulfilled his promises in a mighty way here. God said, I'm not even going to let him touch the city. He's not going to come near it, and then he's going to go right back to where he came from, and exactly that happened. All of his, his, his soldiers, they were all killed in the dead of night. They didn't harm the city. They didn't touch the city, and here... The king of Assyria is turning right back to where he came from just to meet his fate at the hands of his son. I find that really interesting, the untapped potential of faith that we see here. Many of us, and, and many throughout the Bible, we see they, you know, they take it into their own hands and the situation becomes worse because we take it into what, what we view as the, the, the correct course of action Whereas God here, he has his own divine plan as to how things should go. And so many times, every time, every time, it's better than anything we could fathom to happen for us. Anything we could fathom to, to think to make happen for ourselves, God does it a million times better. And we see here, this is, this is, uh, this is no different from that. He demolished the whole camp of the Assyrians and sent Sennacherib right back to where he came from, just as he said he would do. So many times in our lives as Christians, we try to take things on ourselves. Uh, we, we, we leave that wedge in between us and God, and we say, you know, I can go on without God. I can keep going. Uh, you know, I don't, really need to, I don't really need to pray today. I'm kind of busy today. I don't need to spend time with my creator today. You know, we, <laughs> we don't think of him as quite in such a high esteem when we're thinking like this. Um, you know, but we're, we're like, well, you know, God, God can wait till later in the day or um, I'll do my devotions tomorrow. I'll get to it tomorrow. You know, life is but a vapor. We have no promises of tomorrow. We need to get right with our God today so that we can see our blessings from him today. If we don't get right with God in our time on this earth, how will we ever see his blessings? And frankly, I think it would be much, much better to live a life where you see trials but you see God's blessings than a life uh, of, uh, you know, uh, that's just bland and boring and where you go through the trials of life alone because you don't have God. Frankly, I think the first option is much better. And we see Hezekiah here, you know, he, at first, he tried to solve things on his own. And many of us do that. But God says, a just man follows seven times and get, get it back up. Exactly what Hezekiah did here. He realized the fallacy with what he was doing. He realized he couldn't get through this on his own. So he turned to God in his time of need, as we should do ourselves in our time of need, we know that God's there. He wants to help us. He, he asks us to come to him. He's a jealous God in that he wants our love. And, and for us to love him is to let him show us his power. In fact, um, if you look at Paul, he, he's a great example of this. Uh, the, the Bible says he had, he had an infirmity of the flesh. Many speculate that this was, he had issue, uh, issues with his sight after the whole road to Damascus incident where he was blinded and uh, the Bible says there were scales on his eyes. You know, God obviously re resolved that issue and that later uh, he gave him his sight back. But many speculate that that was the issue that Paul is talking about here, uh, that, 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 that it afflicts him daily. And it, Paul, says that, uh, Paul said that he, he petitioned God multiple times to take this infirmity away from him, that God would take this infirmity away from him so that, you know, he, he could have some relief. But God, God didn't. And Paul ends up saying that, you know, he was, he was better for it. He was happy that, that God left him with this infirmity because this gave Paul the chance to realize 
his, his humanity, his weakness, and to in his weakness draw power from God and, and rely on God more. And he saw that in his life, when he relied on God, though he may have had these infirmities and these trials, and if anybody had trials, uh, you know, Paul's one of them. Paul's one of the guys that had a lot of trials, but he relied on God. And, and through this infirmity, he says that he was made strong. You know, when he was weak, he was made strong through God. And so many times in our lives, we try to be strong on our own, but we're not strong. God is strong, though. He's the almighty God. He created us. If we can rely on him, he will make us strong. With God, we can move mountains. Um, and then again, if you look at, let's say, Job, for instance, you know, to him, he, he, obviously, he took on a lot of trials. And to the world, it may, have not, it may not have seemed logical to rely on God in the time that he did. You know, uh, the thing is, Satan is going to send trials no matter what. So whatever Job chose to do here, whether he chose to forsake God as his wife asked him to, or whether he chose to follow God, all that did was determine the outcome. I say all that did. What that did was determine the outcome of the trials. He was going to go through the trials no matter what. But this determined his outcome. And we see because he trusted in God, he came out better for it. He went from being the richest man to being the poorest man to being the richest man again by a lot more, by two times as much. And so do we when we follow God and rely on him in the hard times, then can we receive his blessings? Um, so, so in conclusion tonight, just I just wanted to look at that, and I feel like Hezekiah is a good example of uh, going into this new year. We're coming off of a rough year. We're going into a new year, and this is a good chance for many of us. You know, a lot of people do New Year's resolutions. I don't particularly do that as I never follow through with them. So, But in this time, let this maybe be a, a spiritual New Year's resolution, one that we do follow through with, uh, w with God's power and his grace. Let us try and remove from our lives uh, uh, the high places, per se, those idols, again, anything that comes between you and God, anything that wedges between you and God, let us try and remove that this year. Going into this year, let us remove that and let us start to rely on God more, even in the tough times, especially if next year is going to be anything like this year. I, I sure know that that's going to be a year that I want to rely on God because this was a rough year for a lot of people and not having God would have made it a lot rougher. So if you can remove those things between you and God and rely on him and have a good relationship with God, then can you receive the blessings that he has set aside for you? He has set aside for each and every one of us blessings if we follow his will, both you know, general and specific. Uh, it, it's not enough to just have good intentions as we, sing, as we saw with uh, King Azariah you can have good intentions, but the follow-through has to be there. You have to remove the idols. You have to rely on God, and then you can receive his blessings. And my, I, I'm curious how many blessings he has for us in this new year. So uh, just real quickly, um, if, if you're here tonight and you don't know Christ as your Savior, I just wanted to say, uh, after seeing this year and just moving into this new year, now would be a really good time for you to put your faith in God as we don't know what the future holds. If this year has taught us nothing else, we, uh, we know not of the future or what it holds for us, and life is short, and God is willing and able to accept us uh, as his children. He wants us to come to him and to accept Christ as our Savior. And if you're here tonight and you haven't done that, 
I urge you, tonight's a good night as we're moving into the new year. What better way to start the year than with a new relationship with God? So uh, if you haven't made that decision, maybe tonight after the service, talk to Scott or Pastor or someone. Get that taken care of tonight. And for the rest of us tonight who are born-again believers and we've trusted Christ as our Savior and trusted God with our lives, um, let us move forward and, and lay aside those things which beset us Lay aside those wedges between us and God, our idols in our lives, and let us rely on God this year. And let us see what, what, what great miracles he has in store, the blessings that he has in store for us to receive this year if we'll just put ourselves aside, die to self, rely on God, and let him carry us through this year. And my, how many blessings he does have in store for us. All right. Well, Pastor... Hey, that's a fantastic uh, outline for us to start the new year with, to end this old year and to start the new year with. Three R's. Uh, remove. And what do you need to remove in your life? What do you need to remove from 2020 to help you make 2021 even better? You know, one of the, uh, the, the, the focus of 2020 has been the flesh, which has really caused so many people to become Boy, selfish and unloving, because it's all about the flesh. It's all about me and what's what's good for me. And you just stay away from me because that's what's good for me. And it's been all about focusing on self. Maybe we need to remove that selfishness or remove the pride. Hebrews 12.1, as was alluded to, um, let us lay aside every weight, not, not, not just the, the sins and, and not just the idols, but the weights, those things that maybe are not necessarily in and of themselves wrong, but they hold us back. They, they keep us from going full board for the Lord. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us and let us run with patience remove what do you need to remove and what about relying on god you know uh alec hit it right on the head so many times relying on god for us is secondary first and foremost we go to plan a which is uh not bringing it to the lord in prayer but just using what we call common sense but you know a lot of times what god wants us to do defies common sense which is why we ought to go to him first and foremost relying on him and then of course you don't just sit and say god bless me and then i'll do the work no the bible says we need to do the work and then you receive the blessings the children of israel did not see the waters of the jordan stop until the priests actually walked forward and step their foots inside that water. And that's what we need to do as Christians. Let's, just, let's go ahead and stand. We're going to have uh, a time of invitation. As we consider these things tonight, great outline. What do I need to remove to 